Hello, and welcome to the Webtoon Room. I'm Will. And I'm Crudy. And today, we're here to recap Purple Hyacinth, episode 50 through 57. If you listen to our season one episode, you'll know that Will and I are big fans of Purple Hyacinth, and we both love reading this series, and we were super excited when season two came out. So we're really excited to be recapping this for you. Let's dive into it. So, Crudy. Yes. Let's start with the spiciest season premiere, episode 50. It is so good. I I'm fangirling a little bit, honestly. It's been it's been weeks since it came out, but it is such a good premiere. Such a good premiere. And honestly, it was everything I wanted it to be. What about you? I wasn't sure exactly what I wanted, but this is definitely this was definitely a very 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 satisfying episode to read. It was really fantastic. I think me, as well as so much of the fandom, has just been waiting all hiatus to see the showdown happen between Lauren and Kieran, because that's where we left off. We left off the season one finale with Lauren being introduced to Kieran as the new archivist in the Ardalis police precinct, uh, the 11th precinct, where Lauren works, and Lauren's expression... Kieran's turning to face her. That's exactly where we left off. And now we see the continuation of the interaction. Lauren is staring in shock at Kieran. He's looking somber. Uh, in fact, the this episode, even before he turns around, you can tell that he is not looking forward to this. Uh, the episode does a really good job of using kind of like these micro expressions, you know, with his eyes, with his eyebrows, to set the mood before he even turns around and we see his full face. And then we see that he's not smiling and that his gaze is somber. And as soon as Lauren sees him, her vision just blacks and grays out. We see Kieran through her eyes, and he's this looming, menacing figure. She is terrified. Yeah, she definitely is. And you're right, we get these really, really nice POV, point of view panels. Like it's quite literally, it has the outline of Lauren's eyes. It's We're seeing through her eyes and we're seeing her kind of process each moment as it happens. You know, Kim, you know, grabbing Kieran and saying, isn't he so pretty? And you can tell in this moment, she's still processing what's exactly in front of her. And in that moment, it's not quite clear what she's feeling which makes the scene all the more tense right and her first thought when she sees him goes to just seeing a bloody kieran over the torn bodies of her colleagues and her first instinctual reaction is of terror of protectiveness she thinks that the precinct is a target for a purple hyacinth massacre which is horrifying. If you think about it from Lauren's perspective, she just got off of an interaction with Tim Sake. She has a concussion from being hit on the head pretty hard. And now she's coming into work and she finds Kieran. She had zero warning about this. And she is not thinking 
at all. She is purely reacting. And we just feel the raw emotion from her throughout this entire episode. Yeah, and this emotion gets a little heightened too by the tension in the scene. And one of the moments where the tension becomes really, really apparent is when she has to go, is when she moves in to shake Kieran's hand like they're meeting for the first time. Right, and it's really fascinating because this episode just does a really incredible job with the parallels the art makes and the way that um, it visually depicts Lauren's trauma. Because Kieran, we don't see any dialogue in this interaction. We just see his feet as they move towards her, and then it intercuts with a panel of him stalking towards her in the cave. You get this visual depiction of the visceral sensory experience that Lauren is having in that moment as she's reliving some of the trauma that she experienced in the cave. Uh, it's like she's having these flashbacks and aftershocks. And this continues throughout the, the rest of the episode, but in this panel, it's uh, also really cool the way that the use of sound is depicted as well. The thumping of the footsteps as they echo dully. And that makes it all the more impactful when it's juxtaposed with how their interaction looks to outsiders in that moment. Lauren is perfectly friendly. She greets him. She, she and Kieran both paced on these sort of bright fake smiles uh they both say they're happy to meet each other and even even in that moment when kieran reaches out for the handshake that's another moment where we see this brilliantly depicted flashback and this kind of trauma aftershock where we see kieran's hand reaching out for her and she immediately flashes back to his hand grabbing her throat and choking her in the cave it's so well depicted and it just goes to show that you don't really need words to convey this type of emotion that a character is experiencing this episode does it brilliantly yeah there's also some nice parallels between their first encounter and this handshake they have kind of a second first encounter yeah that's exactly right it's it's a really wonderful parallel between the bloody kind of raw handshake that they have it's clandestine and this one which is public which is kind of clean very sanitized almost it's put on and so that's a lovely parallel that was included in this episode in addition to that these next panels with Kieran's face are really well done where we see first his smiling fake visage almost where he's again you know you're putting on a show you're in the view of other people they're both having to hide their true feelings you see the parallel between that and when his face is unhinged absolutely unhinged in the cave yeah lauren also gets reminded of the chokehold kieran puts her in after like kim just casually grabs her you know just this is kim messing around but it's still so in the moment for lauren that it even though it, it's not Kieran, he's what's on her mind, so she gets a little flashback to that moment. Yeah, definitely. And it's very impressive, by the way, that Lauren is able to keep her wits together and act like nothing is wrong while she is undergoing all of these just surges of emotion and adrenaline and she doesn't know anything about what's going on. She doesn't know why Kieran's in the police station. 
and it's very impressive that she's able to keep her cool like that. I honestly didn't expect her to be able to keep her cool to that degree, so I'm very impressed by that. Um, it is interesting, though, because she also has a few tells. When she lets go of Kieran's hand in the handshake, hers immediately goes to rub her neck, which is where that he had strangled her. And, of course, as Will just mentioned, she has that flashback when Kim grabs her from behind, you know, as, as Kim is simping over Kieran, which <laughs> <laughs> I honestly didn't expect Kim to simp quite so hard over Kieran, but in retrospect, I think it makes sense. Kieran's a handsome guy. Um, I guess I just had never really seen Kim simp over anyone else before, but maybe there was just never anyone pretty enough in the police station to simp over. I think some of the other characters are pretty enough, but this is there's some novelty. There's fresh blood in the precinct, you know? Yes, that's true. Yes, fresh blood with uh, very handsome blue eyes and, and glasses that Kim wants to see him without. Um, but anyway, moving on. Kieran moves to go to the bathroom, which is where Lauren accosts him. They finally have a moment alone. Yeah, it's the first time they've gotten to talk since the incident. Uh, yeah, since all of that went down in the cave in episode in the infamous episode 43. Yeah, and while Lauren is here to talk, she's more here to say her piece and also express some of her anger, shall we say. Right. In this moment, Lauren's not really thinking. She is just acting on pure adrenaline and instinct. And all of her raw fear, rage, and anger that she wasn't able to express out in front of everyone else, it's all coming out right now. She moves straight to beat him up. And he kind of deserves it, honestly. He knows it, too, which is why he doesn't try and block her. And her hits do hurt him. They don't irreparably harm him, but they do hurt him. And his guilt lets him take those hits. Yeah, for Kieran in that moment, he definitely is feeling the guilt. And he definitely just just takes it. For Lauren, she is lashing out. She has turned her fear, she has turned her anger, and it just comes out as raw violence. Because she doesn't just beat him, you know, she doesn't she doesn't just knee him the one time. It even it escalates to a point where she pulls her gun out on him. Right. And she is, I mean, like we said, she, she really isn't in a place right now where she is able to rationally think in any capacity. She is reacting. She's, you know, there are emotions. And she is also traumatized and afraid of Kieran. And that is what is leading to all of this kind of lashing out that we've been describing. Her reactions are very similar to... A cornered animal. When he tries to move in closer to her, that's when she pulls the gun out at him and she says, don't come any closer to me or I'll shoot you. And you know I'm serious about what I say. Um, she sees, we get these flashbacks of her words when they first make their deal, her conditions that Kieran shouldn't be or shouldn't interfere in any part of her life and that their deal is separate. So I think part of her sees him showing up at the police precinct as an invasion of her life. She's immensely worried about what his presence means in the precinct. She's ragingly protective 
And I think something else that doesn't help her in this moment is that Kieran doesn't exactly approach the interaction with an empathy mindset. When he starts to talk to her, it's like, we need to talk. Or, you know, just give me a moment. It really doesn't work on Lauren. She beats him up, as we've described. Once he realizes, because I think this interaction does solidify for him just how much he has hurt her and how upset she is. He kind of simmers down and he's much more meek. His honesty goes much further with her in the state that she's in. Yeah, and and it's in this moment that we see that Kieran clearly still cares for Lauren. He tries to reach out for her when she reels over from that pain from her concussion. But, of course, Lauren isn't receptive to it, but Kieran still uses her name. He's still trying to reach out to her. He's still trying to show some care, even in this moment after taking a beating. Absolutely. We definitely get a sense into how Kieran feels about Lauren when he sees her head throb and she's visibly not okay. And I love that panel where it just shows his eyes widening and you can see the concern etched on his face and he's approaching her and he's just saying, are you okay? And, you know, as we mentioned, that's when the gun comes out and he starts telling her the truth. He also gives her information in that moment, which I think goes a long way into quelling some of the anxiety and worry and fear that she was experiencing when she starts understanding exactly what he's doing in the police precinct and she just has more information at her tips. Uh, He lets her know that he's Harvey's replacement, he's the new mole, that he's not there to kill anyone, and that he'd only received his mission orders yesterday, so he didn't have any time to let her know about it even if he wanted to. He just kind of had to show up. He also lets her know, without her prompting, which I think is notable, she doesn't prompt him to ask anything else, but he freely tells her that the leader didn't simply put him there to be a replacement spy, that he has another mission, which is to find Loon and to kill them. And when he says that, Lauren's eyes just go wide. Because before this, all we've seen of her is 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 this fear coming out as rage. But in this moment, she is wide-eyed. She looks younger than I think I've ever seen her look at this current age in the webtoon. She just looks very, like, young, and she, you can tell in the next few panels, she's so anguished. She says, so why don't you just kill me then? Strangle me with your bare hands. You won't shed a tear anyway. And these are all words that he said to her in the cave in 43 when he was unhinged. And at those words, you see Kieran being affected. We see a throb, um, whether it's from his heart or something else like his his head he's clearly affected and he looks to her neck where he had strangled her and then he says her name he says lauren i and we don't know what he's gonna say um i i like to think that he would have apologized but i don't know it's hard to say will how do you read this scene it's hard to know exactly what he was gonna say I don't think he knows exactly what he was going to say either, honestly. I get the sense that in this scene, Kieran, like Lauren, is also processing a lot because he only just found out about this mission too. Uh, He was told the night before. So I think that 
Kieran is mostly just unsure. It seems like he was just as unprepared for the intensity of their meeting as Lauren was. Maybe slightly less so because he at least knew something like this was coming, but he I don't think he could have been prepared for the intensity of Lauren's reaction to him. I don't think he could have been prepared for what exactly she might have felt. I think he kind of didn't know until he saw her again. And in that moment, I think you're right. He probably didn't know what he was going to say either. He just probably in that moment felt concern for her and and care. But Lauren cuts it off and she says, there's no loon anymore. It's a great thing because there is no loon anymore. She walks out and she says the deal is off. And she leaves Kieran in the bathroom looking empty and looking down at his right hand, the one that strangled her. And that's the end of the episode. Curdy, uh, what are your takeaways for this episode? Well, one of the things that was made so clear to me in this episode was just how traumatized Lauren is by the cave altercation strangling that happened in episode 43. It's only been a few days in the story's timeline, and seeing Kieran again so unexpectedly didn't really help her, but it's pretty clear that her pain will not go away immediately. That is something significant that is going to have to be resolved. And Kieran is going to have to beg. I don't know if he's actually going to beg, but he is going to have to work to get back into Lauren's good graces. He really hurt and he traumatized her. And nothing sweet or good that he does in the future will erase that. He needs to properly atone for it for them to resolve this and reconcile on any level. I think he made some good steps in this episode by being meek. He didn't try to block her hits. He was honest with her. He didn't joke uh, or say sarcastic comments like usual. So I think that honesty and sincerity was a good move. What did you think of the two of them? Yeah, I agree in that Kieran does have a lot of work ahead of him in order to atone if they ever want to have any semblance of a relationship. Lauren definitely needs more time to process what has happened to her. It's not something that'll go away overnight. It's something that'll be worked through between her and Kieran, or just between her, depending on where this goes. I think we'll see that happen. Kieran still very much cares for Lauren. It's just a little unclear on the how and when. Right, he definitely does still care for her. I think Kieran actually didn't have a scope or understanding of just how far-reaching the effects of his actions were until he saw Lauren again and until they interacted this episode. You can tell that he regrets it. I think he always regretted it. I think seeing her be so hurt and seeing how he and seeing how much he had traumatized her exacerbated that for him. It heightened it. Uh, you can tell in the way that he was looking at his fist towards the end. So I'm glad that he got to that place. Part of me wish he'd gotten there sooner, but, you know, his emotional capacity may be limited with all of the assassinating that he does. Uh, we'll just have to see what ends up happening between the two of them, because Loon may be over, but they will still keep being in each other's orbit at work, and also to resolve his mission for the leader. So that's going to be interesting to watch. 
Uh, also, oh my freaking goodness. Um, I really hope no one else was in those bathroom stalls. Yeah, I was going to ask, did anyone else hear them? Because they are yelling and Lauren is beating the crap out of somebody like this isn't usually that quiet. Uh, not no. even just is there anyone in the bathroom stall? Is there anyone outside the door? Seriously, I was like, my dudes, we, you are right down the hallway from the precinct. What are you doing? Like, and I fully understand, by the way, that both of them are in an emotionally heightened state. Karen's not in a position to tell her anything like this, and Lauren is just acting on pure adrenaline, but at the same time, I'm like, your lives literally depend on keeping this stuff secret. Why are you doing a terrible job at this? I I really hope no one heard you, and I really hope no one was in the bathroom stalls. I think that pretty much wraps up episode 50. Shall we move on to 51? Sure. Let's do it. What did you think of this episode? We start off with Kim and Will checking in on Lorne in the hallway. Yeah, I thought this was a great little moment. Both of them recognize that something is clearly either bugging Lauren or something's wrong with her. And they basically get it out of her that she hit her head really hard. And Will kind of takes charge in this, enforcing Lauren to go to the medical office and get some help and take a break and takes her off the patrol, essentially. And it's a nice little moment because it kind of shows the care that Kim and Will have for Lauren and that they're kind of in tune and and that they're attuned a little bit to Lauren's mood slash well-being. Right. And you can clearly tell that both of them love and care for her a lot. Um, Will knows that the only way Lauren will take a break is if she is forced to. So he tells her it's an order, basically, for her to take the day off, for her to go to the sickbed. And I'm honestly glad because she needed time to process some of this stuff. She's had a really horrible day so far. There was a really great panel where it showed Will and Kim sort of bickering like they normally do, and you see Lauren in the middle of them just staring off into space. She's looking a million miles away, and it's clear that she is still processing everything that has happened. Yeah, and the scene moves on, and we get Kim and Will on patrol, and they encounter... The Circus Royale. Yeah, it felt a little bit random to just see a circus pop up, but we do get the tie-in with Viscount Redcliffe, which is interesting because he's the same guy who's hosting the ball on the 17th, which we know has been brought up before at the police station because police are expected to provide security. And we've also seen a circus ticket for the 17th, so this is a clearly a significant date, and this circus is tied in somehow. And honestly, all of these people... we. You know, before I get into it, we do meet the cast of characters, all the different members of the circus, Heracles, we meet the aerialist, Zephyr, the blindfolded pianist, Apollo, and Artemis. And it turns out that this circus company has been going on for the last 15 years, and it started out as a band of homeless orphans in Greychapel, which, I don't know about you, but it sounds rife with phantom scythe suspiciousness to me. I honestly feel like all of these characters in the circus are phantom scythe members. I think we're being set up for some kind of involvement like that. Even if they're not directly phantom scythe members, they're involved in some way. 
perhaps Viscount Redcliffe is also involved. He did buy his title. He doesn't seem to have been born into royalty, so that kind of fits with the Phantom Scythe persona. Yeah, I feel very similarly. This has got to be a setup, is what my gut is telling me. I, I don't see it. I don't see it going down any other way that they aren't involved with Phantom Scythe in some way. Uh, on a personal note, I do like that there's an aerialist in this troupe. I do aerial dance, and it's always really fun to see it represented in media because it's not very common. But anyway, they have to be involved somehow. They do. And I thought it was interesting the way that they reached out to the police officers. And it felt almost taunting that they were inviting them up onto the stage. So I don't know exactly what it's setting up for, but it's definitely, they're definitely setting up for something. And we'll just kind of have to wait and see what it is. This this whole episode with the circus felt like an introduction, basically, to something that is going to be much bigger down the line. Yeah, this definitely does feel like a setup, but Kim and Will do have some nice interactions in this one. I agree. They get a chance to actually sit down and talk with each other without, like, bickering their heads off, uh, which is entertaining, but it is nice to see them collaborating. And they talk about Lauren, uh, because they're both worried about her, and they know Things are a bit weird with her. They know something is off. They both know her well enough to suspect that. And I guess, for me, it's just a question of how much they suspect at this point. Because they're hunting Loon internally, it's been hinted before that Kim might know or suspect more than she lets on. Uh, Which is another thing, another cool thing I want to bring up about Kim is that when she does go up to the stage to shoot, she never misses a shot. And it obviously speaks to her prowess at the shooting range but i wonder if that's also speaking to how astute she is and if it's foreshadowing something to come insert straight shooter joke here by the way <clears throat> kim ha, never ha. misses she's a straight shooter mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. Ha, ha, ha. bingo bango yeah kim has some really fun moments with the watermelon as well uh i cracked up when she told will hold my watermelon uh, <laughs> that was a great moment. I like that moment. Yeah, it was nice. Levity, little bits of levity are always nice. Let's ask the question, the question that every Purple Heisen fan has on their mind, and not in every scene, but in many, many scenes. Where's Dylan? Is Dylan one of these one of the circus members? Yeah, that's what I was wondering. Is he Apollo? Is he... Did he learn Ariel? Is he Zephyr? I don't know. <laughs> I have questions. Is he super buff? Is he Heracles? Um, no, we don't know. We don't know if Dylan is a part of this circus troupe. He might be, especially if he survived the Allendale train bombing and he became an orphan and he was lumped in with the other orphans at Great Chapel. Who knows? It'll be... It's another mystery ahead of us. But we go away from the patrol outside into Lauren in the hospital bed with a nurse. Yeah, and she finally gets a moment to lay down and process, think. She gets some time by herself, and Kieran's watching. He is. She... (laughs) I'm glad that she got that time to process everything. She has had a hell of a day, and I really like that... She was finally able to think through everything. She knows that she needs to confront the danger of the leader's mission. It's a reality she can't really ignore. She has to choose either deception or death. And you are totally right. 
Kieran passes by. He's concerned for her. He's watching. He's just kind of watching over her. Not in a creepy way. <laughs> Will's making faces. No, I assure you it is not creepy. He's, he's just watching over her. But back to Lauren. I do really appreciate how realistic her reactions are in this and the last episode. Last episode, we mentioned she was all adrenaline and raw emotion. And when she had a chance to think in this episode in the nurse's office, she understood what she had to do in the situation. She couldn't just up and leave Kieran to the mission. No matter her feelings, she needed to talk to him to resolve that. And it was really great to see her come to that conclusion. We know she's really smart and logical. And it was nice to see it here instead of uh, watching her pursue an emotional reaction. Do you have anything more to add, Will? I do not. Though, moving on to episode 52, they do talk again. Yeah, they finally have that conversation. Lauren takes Kieran and walks out of the police precinct to go find a more secluded place than the precinct to have a talk about Loon. Uh, Will sees them leave, which we'll touch on later. I don't know how concerning this is, but he notices them. Kieran is still really somber. He looks away when Lauren or him are walking into kind of a secluded alley. Uh, is he guilty? I don't know. He seems really serious when he asks if Lauren is going to off him. Yeah, it. the conversation just kind of remains business-like almost. Right, and I think it's appropriate given what they're talking about. They're talking about the mission that Kieran is given. Lauren is asking for more information on what the situation is. I think, honestly, it is good. It's a safe zone for them to be in to remain business-like, because otherwise it's just going to get too personal for them. Um, it's great because they can both get on the same page with what the leader expects and how to handle it. And it's good because they, at least they start talking about it, you know? I'm I'm glad that they're at least talking with each other. Yeah, there's a willingness to work together at the very least. Granted, this is because of granted this is because of the threat of death, but Right. It, it's still something. <laughs> right. Uh they're kind of cornered in on both sides by both the leader and Herman and they need to produce bodies and convincing evidence that they've caught Loon, uh, which they have options in different places. They can forge identities. There are also unidentified corpses uh, in the poor districts that they can potentially use. Uh, there is a nice little moment in the middle when Lauren says we when talking about the work that they'll have to do, indicating that she and Kieran would be working together on this. And Kieran smiles and he says, we, are you going to help me, officer? Which I think is, it's a really nice little sweet moment. You can tell that he's missed Lauren. Uh, I think he's probably a little relieved to hear that. We. Yeah, and it's nice to see Kieran kind of joke just a little bit. It's not anything major, but it's a little bit of his usual humor inserted. Lauren's still not really having it, but Kieran, he's trying. Yeah, it was nice to see just a little bit more lightheartedness. With Lauren, what I think is interesting about her, she definitely isn't having it. Uh, she, and rightfully so, I, I can totally understand where she's coming from. But it's interesting because I do think she's missed him as well. Uh, after he smiles and he says, are you going to help me, officer? She kind of like looks off to the side. She can't look him in the eye for a few panels after that. All 
the time that he's sort of smiling at her, she can't look him in the eye. Uh, she's kind of glaring a hole at the wall <laughs> on the side. Um, and so I think she misses him. And, and she's missed working with him, rather. But she's still very angry and upset. Which is why I kind of expected the reaction that she gave when Kieran reaches out to her towards the end of their interaction. They finish up their business discussion, and while she's walking away, Kieran calls out to her and he says Lauren. So he says her name. It's a show of intimacy. And he asks her why she was late to work that day. And she tells him that nothing she does is his business. So she's still kind of not having it. It's interesting because it shows that she is invested enough to stop. It shows that she cares. She's invested to some degree in hearing from him because I think she wants an apology. And I do believe we will get there. And she does answer him instead of completely ignoring him, but she's still pissed off, as she rightfully should be. They still not, have not had a proper talk about what happened, um, but it was interesting to me how that went down. And it shows, obviously, as we mentioned before, that Kieran still cares about her. He, uh, I think, was probably worried about what happened to her in the morning, and I, I don't know if he suspects something, but he, he tried to reach out to her. Yeah. Also in episode 52, we get a conversation between Belladonna and the messenger. And they talk specifically about Tim's sake, how he is becoming a liability, shall we say? He's done enough to make Belladonna feel like it was necessary to arrange an urgent meeting with the messenger to talk about him specifically. And also in this meeting, the name Sinclair gets dropped. Right. At this point, they know... They know about Lauren. She's on their radar. She, and she was bound to be, in my opinion, given how openly she's been investigating him. Uh, I think she could have done a better job of being secretive. But, you know, it is what it is. And speaking of the Purple Hyacinth, something else that Kieran mentions kind of caught my eye. He mentioned that he wasn't the only one, or was likely not the only one, with orders to go after Loon. Which makes me wonder who else might be after Loon in the fandom scythe. Two people who are not a part of Phantom Scythe, but are looking for Loon, are Kim and Will. And in the next episode, episode 53, we get Kim and Will going to the Golden Clover to do some extra investigations. Yep. We're going into episode 53, and it starts off in the beginning of the last episode with Will looking out the window and seeing Lauren and Kieran walking out of the precinct, and him and Kill are powwowing about their assignment to find Loon. Kim is channeling her inner detective, aka Lauren, and she takes Will to the Golden Clover to investigate, because that was the last known spot that Loon has been spotted in. And Kim kind of, it, this is really funny, she sort of bullies Will into joining uh, Soleil, which is Loon's counterpart, uh, which I thought was very hilarious. And so they head off to the Golden Clover, there's some shenanigans. This entire episode is really just, you know, it's it's very fun. It's investigative, but it is also very fun. Will is a really great counterbalance to Kim's kookiness. Uh, she sneaks in all these middle fingers to him on the way to the Golden Clover because she keeps getting lost. But she's very smart and astute, and she she meets with the manager there, 
whose name is Karen, by the way, which is hilarious. And the main takeaway that they find is that a woman's coat has been left behind at the Golden Clover, um, which strikes them as odd because it's one thing to leave behind a small insignificant item, but to leave behind a nice coat in the middle of winter and not come back for it, it's questionable. It's questionable enough for them to consider it. More specifically, consider Mrs. A's crazy theory that Loon is a man and a woman as opposed to two men. They both conclude that it's plausible that Loon is comprised of a man and a woman, but they still don't really know for sure. But the idea is now in their head that this is possible. Right. Uh, I, too, am not necessarily a fan of how Kim cited Lady A's words and took them seriously. Because for one, to me, the questions that come to my mind are, why listen to a civilian, especially a civilian that seems to know classified information? Because at this point in time, when Lady A was talking about this, Loon had only just been found out by the police department, and they, I don't believe, had released a name or information to the public yet. So it's suspect to me that she knows about Loon, but I think they did do a good job of analyzing Loon's modest operandi in The Golden Clover. They're kind of sussing out that Loon was undercover at the bar, and one person distracted Anslow while the other knocked him out. So I think that was well done. Yeah, they come to these conclusions, and it really reinforces that despite Kim being really goofy and getting into comedic hijinks all the time, she is really astute and pretty sharp at putting together information in rational and in ways that make sense. Right. I think she's moving closer to the truth, and she's actually approaching it more strategically than the police seem to be. Visiting the Golden Clover, the woman's coat, all of these clues. So I definitely commend her for that. This entire episode, I'm not gonna lie, I was like, oh, I hate that she's getting so close. I hate that she's figuring out all these clues. But at the same time, it just makes good tension in the story, and it makes sense with her character. We've gotten hints before that Kim knows more than she lets on. She wants to find Loon before Herman does, and she hopes Loon is smart enough to not get caught. It just makes me wonder, is she Phantom Scythe? Does she have suspicious leanings? Uh, or does she know something about Lauren? It'll be, it'll be fascinating to see. Yeah, and one final tidbit about this episode. Will did see Lauren and Kieran leaving together, and this could be a situation where Will has the the final tidbit of information that pushes Kim into finding out the truth. I'm not sure yeah. if this is where they're going to go, but this it's an interesting thread that's been left hanging. Right. I think it'll be fun to see where it goes. But the episode ends with Kieran, and he is finally entering the locked door in his apartment, and it teases some reveals for episode 54. And it turns out to be a drawing room. But not just any drawing room. This room holds some kind of significance for Kieran. Yeah, we finally get a look this episode into Kieran's psyche. Uh, into what makes him tick as a person. Uh, and this entire episode features some really beautiful mirror storytelling that intertwines both Kieran's and Lauren's brooding, because both of them are decompressing and processing the events of the day. 
both of them say, oh, what a mess that they're in. Because they really are in a mess. Things are kind of crazy right now, and both of them look spent. We see Kieran at his drawing table. It's pretty clear that drawing is a type of relaxation and self-care for him. This is what he does to sort of get his thoughts out and feel a little better. And Lauren is literally washing off in the shower and emerging cleansed. The fan service episode. It really is. Not to be weird or anything, but these are really beautiful panels of Lauren in the shower. It's And it's not just eye candy either. It is symbolic. Like I said, she... What a day this has been for her. She ran into Tim's sake that morning, and she got hit in the head by Belladonna. She had a concussion, and then all this stuff happened with Kieran. Like, it's been it's been a day for her. It's been a wild, wild day for her. This is the first chance that Lauren gets to decompress, to kind of unburden herself from all the things that have happened today. And just get some time alone to think. And on the flip side, Kieran gets a moment to reflect a little bit, to ponder a little bit, to be pensive. Mm-hmm, he does. Do we want to hit on the Lauren stuff first and then get into Kieran? Let's start with Lauren. She takes a stroll down memory lane. She's really thinking about Sake's words. Uh, about the getaway car, her parents, and the driver. And she goes up to the attic to revisit some of her parents' stuff. She finds some pamphlets that suggest her parents were involved in some kind of rival group to Phantom Scythe. She also finds a business card, an old one at that, with handwriting Mm -hmm. she doesn't recognize. Right. Orion and Sons, uh, it reads, They are all dead. This is the point of no return. But it is not the end. And, yeah. The socialist organization that she finds papers for among her parents' stuff is called the Snapdragon, and it just brings up questions. Was this why her parents were targeted by the Phantom Scythe? We don't know. Uh, And speaking of, you know, the way her parents were targeted, we also see a name for the driver who died with them in the accident. So Lauren has all of this new information and all these new questions, and that pretty much comprises her half of the episode. Uh, the other half is an exploration into Kieran, which is where things get really juicy. Yeah, we have a flashback with Kieran where he's talking to someone about how the room he's in, how drawing is a way for him to stay in touch with his humanity. We don't know who he's talking to. We don't get told who it is. And... It's really, really interesting because he's back inside the room again after it being locked. But there are drawings of... And there are drawings that Kieran did in the past, but there's also new drawings with him and Lauren. So you think that Kieran is in the same room in the flashback where he's younger as he is now? Yes. Yes, I do think so. That's really interesting. Uh, I hadn't actually picked up on that, so that's an interesting take. That kind of changes things a little bit. Um... I do think it is really nice to see him be younger, and you can kind of tell the a subtle age change that the art has that portrays him as being younger, because he's not a child. He probably looks somewhere in his teens, to me, or maybe, maybe early 20s. And you can see how he's more 
you can see that he has more spark to him. He looks a little bit more alive uh, and a little bit less bogged down by some of the realities of life. And, you know, and it's clear that he wants to keep the warmth and the humanity in him. He wants to keep those subtle moments in life that remind him that humanity can be beautiful. And that's why he draws. He doesn't want to lose that. And like you said, he's drawn Lauren. She sparked that feeling of humanity in him again after a very long time. Uh, he draws her the moment that she gave him a genuine smile on the bridge. The first time they locked eyes when he froze. Which was a big question that we were all, that we were all asking ourselves in season one. Why did he freeze? And he asks himself that. Why did I freeze? He writes it down on the page. And it's because she made him feel, for the first time in years, human again. Yeah, and another interesting question, too, is what caused him in the first place to lose touch with it? What changed? Why was this room locked for so long? That's true. We've seen that he's capable of caring about people. And we've kind of speculated this in our season one recap, I think. Uh, in our season one review, where maybe he has been hurt because he cared about somebody. Uh, something happened to that person, or he did something, who know, we don't know. Um, but he cared about someone once, and he cared about himself once, and I'm not sure either. Uh, we know that there's a portrait in there, that's covered by the chair, which the entire fan, RIP chairs to the entire fandom, so I'm so sorry. <laughs> um, but we know that there's a portrait, and that was actually a question that I was asking myself. We know in this episode, from this episode, that Kieran is very, very likely, like 99.99% not Dylan. However, he may have known Dylan, and it's possible that Dylan was the person who was speaking to Kieran, teenage Kieran. And it made me wonder, is Dylan in that portrait? I don't know. Is that portrait a portrait someone Karen used to care about? Or still cares about even, but he's just buried deep down. Yeah, I'm not sure either. And these are a lot of questions that we still don't have the answers for. Yeah, definitely. Um, but do you want to get into some of the general takeaways of this episode because we really finally got a much needed peek into Kieran's psyche for the first time with this episode. Yeah, for sure. We also got a moment to breathe for all the characters. For Kieran, it's the first time we get to see the lock on his heart opened. He chooses to open it and he's opened it in recent times after meeting Lauren. And as you said, we learn he doesn't understand it really. He's still trying to figure it out. Right. It's really poetic and symbolic. He's locked away his humanity, and now he's opening it up again. I like what you've mentioned, that he doesn't really fully understand his connection to Lorne or why he feels so compelled towards her, but he wants to know. I think he wants to understand, and I think, as we mentioned before, he regrets pushing her away, and I think he does. He's remembering that he does, in fact, want that humanity and connection. We don't know what it took for him to push all of that away and kind of bury it deep down, but I'm glad that he's finding it again. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. And on the other side of things, we got to see Lauren and Lauren's moment of 
calm, shall we say? Yeah, totally. I love the way this episode utilized that mirror storytelling between the two of them. It's a really smart way to tie them together while letting them have that space to process and to think on their own. I'm reminded of that episode that the authors had where Lauren spent the night at Kieran's apartment, where it had a little mini version of this, where they both are kind of separate. Lauren is in his bed, Kieran is mopping up the floor, and they're both kind of wondering what they're doing there. They're kind of processing everything that's just happened. Their thoughts are intertwined with the other person, but we get a look into their separate mindsets, which I thought was a really good way to structure this episode. I also really like the small moment that the one panel of Lauren's tear on the family portrait, on the family photo, I thought that was a really, really nice, small way to insert that the hurt and pain is still there, even though it's not fresh. It's something, it's a kind of sadness and pain that she still feels very much so to this day. Absolutely. It's unspoken, which is what makes it so powerful and poignant. The authors don't need to shout it out at us. Uh, it's a little thing that we can kind of just pick up on our own. The next couple episodes, 55, 56, and 57, kind of all blend together into one Ninja Lauren escapade. At the Carmine Camellia. Yeah, there's a lot of ninja hijinks that goes on here. Yeah, uh, let's get into what Lauren is up to, episode 55 onwards. Lauren's still got the pamphlets from the attic on her mind, but she's looking ahead at the Carmine Camellia meetup that is scheduled to happen in a couple of days. And the next panels we see switch over to the meetup that is happening. We get a sudden ninja Lauren, as we mentioned. Uh, I'm not quite sure why she's a ninja. It doesn't really make sense, because it's never really been hinted at before. But I guess, I guess we're going with the Japanese theme of Carmine Camellia. Anyway... Lauren has rigged up a bug in the room that the Phantom Scythe members are meeting in. Tim Sake, it's confirmed, is the associate that's returning from overseas. He is in cahoots with Flemings, Davenport, and all those folks, etc. Uh, it's interesting because Lauren seems pretty familiar with Carmine Camellia. It's a high-class restaurant, which kind of answers that question for me as to why Lauren might be familiar with it. The Sinclairs are pretty rich, but... I'm not sure if the restaurant itself has some shady Phantom Scythe underpinnings beneath it. Who knows? Because it seems like a pretty big, bold choice to be meeting right out in the open. We cut before the meeting starts to Belladonna cutting right to the chase with Tim's sake, asking about his interactions with Lorne. Because we remember, Belladonna's already suspicious. Uh, she's already questioning Tim's sake's competence. And Tim's sake, in his arrogance, does not question anything no he does not and this whole time while they're having this conversation as they walk into the restaurant or through or through the gate rather uh lauren is tailing them like you would in a video game like a gta mission and she has to not get caught but also overhear their conversation at the same time and tim's sake really does come off as arrogant in this whole exchange he still doesn't know when to keep his mouth shut. He just keeps talking and talking and talking. This guy. But we do learn some stuff. Something interesting about Lauren. Yeah, we learn a little bit about how far Lauren is willing to go. Tim Sake says, yeah, she was so desperate to prove that I did it that they found my blood on her hands. Right. 
which brings up a lot of questions. Uh, we don't know what Lauren did, that Tim's blood was on her hands a few days after the interrogation. And we also learn from this that there is more than meets the eye to the getaway driver that drove Lauren's parents' car. And we also learn a name, Robin Delaney. Yeah, Tim Sake mentioned that Robin, the driver, and himself were the Phantom Scythe members that were in the car at the time of the Allendale train bombing. Robin Delaney is eliminated. We do get a name, but we don't know as of yet just how important he is. The only two currently alive are the getaway driver and Tim Sake. We're not sure yet if there were children in the car, but these are the Phantom Scythe members that were in the car. Uh, we also see, finally, the two walking into the actual dinner. We see the woman from the docks who was supervising the shipments last season. She's in on the dinner. And the fourth person, who I'm assuming is Ryan Flemings. And they're all waiting for the messenger. The messenger shows up, and we learn something pretty spicy for the plot. We learn that there is a coup d'etat in the works, specifically by Seven against both the royalty and the Phantom Scythe. Yeah, Apostle Seven is staging a coup. He doesn't know what the leader suspects, he just knows that the leader has gotten the Purple Hyacinth involved in maybe sussing things out about the operation. But we know, as readers, that the leader does know about Apostle Seven's operation. Seven had planned to use the weapons import, originally planned by the leader, but he is using it now to stage a coup to overthrow, as Will said, both the leader and the royals. But they've kind of got some holes in their plan, or not holes in their plan, but something's gumming up the works because Apostle Seven is not acting right away. He still wants to make sure he has some more assets before he can be sure of success. And honestly, this is just a straight-up power grab. Belladonna says it right out loud that the Apostle doesn't really believe in all the stuff that the leader spouts about equality. He's not going to really bother with it, and he's just going to take the power. This is what this is. And while all of this is happening, while Lauren's listening in on all of this conversation, um, because she's put the bug in the room where the Phantom Scythe members are having dinner, we see another masked unknown figure join Lauren on the rooftop. And this person blocks the transmission from the bug that she's planted. So Lauren isn't able to hear from her device anymore. Yeah, they both end up trying to get closer to listen in because that seems to be what they're aiming for. And they see each other. And there's a rather comedic moment where they're both hanging over the same ledge facing each other. <laughs> and Lauren goes, hold on, what was that? And they yeah. end up fighting. And so we get some ninja fighting, which is cool. The music's yes. great, by the way. We get a really cool rooftop fight sequence. Which, uh... Uh, which results in Lauren pinning the other ninja down. And mm -hmm. surprise! We see some very familiar blue eyes, and it is Kieran. Both Kieran and Lauren, we are not in shock. I personally was not in shock when I read this. I was like, oh, okay, this is as expected. But both Kieran and Lauren are in shock. It makes sense to me that Kieran and Lauren would both check out the Carmine Camellia separately from each other, and that they would probably run into each other. And it was very entertaining, as Will said. That panel where they're both just hanging and they're both just taking a moment to register. Oh, that's another person. 
Um, that was very funny. Yeah, it wasn't that unexpected for me either. Mm-hmm. It makes sense. Uh, the one thing I do wonder is why Kieran blocked Lauren's bug transmission. I don't know if that it's possible that it was unintentional, that he was trying to set up his own thing and that it interfered with hers. Uh, but in case it was intentional, I guess that just makes me wonder who he thought she was playing for, if he was surprised that it was Lauren. I also have no idea why they were ninjas, but I guess it's just something new that got thrown into the mix. Yeah, I was a little bit confused by that too. Maybe not confused, but it was a moment where I just had to go, okay, I guess they're both ninjas now. Yeah, that's that's what we're getting these episodes. Um, but I'm kind of excited because it looks like these two are going to have a confrontation of sorts in, in the next episode, in episode 58, which I think is going to be very exciting. Yeah, it's either going to be a confrontation of they have to bust out of here because they've been making a lot of noise fighting on the rooftop, <laughs> and slash or a confrontation of are they going to finally be able to talk and and talk with their feelings more exposed rather than the guarded I'm guilty for Kieran and I'm angry for Lauren discussions they've had earlier. Yeah, absolutely. I'm definitely looking forward to seeing them have a more open discussion. Uh, speaking of which, do we want to wrap up some of our closing thoughts on these episodes? Yeah, sure. Episode 50 to 57 was an interesting mix. We got some really, really good character moments. We got some great episodes. We got some slow episodes. It was overall a little bit mixed, but I'm still very excited to see what happens next. I would agree. I kind of had a same reaction. We got some really bombastic episodes. I'm thinking in particular of the premiere, uh, episode 50, and episode 54, where we got to explore a little bit more of Kieran's psyche. That was just a really juicy episode. I also really liked episode 52, where Lauren and Kieran um, kind of actually sit down and, and talk a little bit about uh, future plans and how they're planning to handle all of the stuff with the leader. I think all of the plot progression stuff, the stuff with the circus, Carmine Camellia, all of these things are things that need to happen. They're not necessarily the juiciest points, the things that you know get the fandom going. But it makes sense to me. They they do, they do serve a purpose. It also makes sense that we get kind of a mix because it tracks for me with how Purple Hyacinth as a webtoon tends to handle their episodes and the plot and like the pacing of everything and how everything tends to get spread out. So it altogether fits with how the webtoon has been handled so far. I am really looking forward to Lauren and Kieran having a solid interaction where they actually get to address some of the stuff that's been hidden in, where they actually get to address the root of their issues. And I understand that they've been dealing with other stuff for now because they're trying to resolve this and they have to resolve this while everything else is moving at a mile a minute, you know? Carmine Camellia, the Phantom Scythe is not going to pause for them, the Loon investigation from the police station is not going to pause for them, there's all this stuff going on, but I am going to be really excited for that to happen because Lauren and Kieran, as we mentioned in our season one review, they're kind of the central relationship of this webtoon. Yeah, they definitely are, and I'm glad that during these episodes we did get individual moments for these characters by themselves. 
I do want to see Lauren parse through some of the trauma and hurt and pain that she's been through. And I want to see Kieran get more in touch with his desire for warmth, connection, and humanity. I completely agree. What do you want to see in that interaction in in the future episodes? I would want to see Kieran clearly understand what he had done to Lauren and be able to communicate that and to show at least a little bit of empathy, hopefully more than that. But I but it's unclear what exactly he's capable of and seeing that will be very very interesting. I agree with you. I would love to see a sincere effort from him. It's hard to say what Lauren's reactions would be when he apologizes and when they have that talk, but I do think sincerity will go will go a significant way with her. Yeah. Yeah, it will. Poor Lauren. Poor Coco. Yeah, poor Coco. <laughs> Coco, what did Coco do? What did Coco do to deserve this? Coco did absolutely nothing. <laughs> Thank you very much for listening to our recap episode of Purple Hyacinth. Yeah, we really appreciate you guys listening till the very end and sitting through our thoughts on episodes 50 to 57 of Purple Hyacinth. We had so much fun doing this. This is a new style of podcast format for us, so we hope you enjoyed it. Let us know what you think. If you want to message us or reach out to us, you can email us at thewebtoonroom at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at The Webtoon Room, and we'd be happy to hear from you. We love Purple Hyacinth. We love discussing this and so many other different webtoons, so check us out on socials. We'd be happy to have you there. And be sure to leave a review, follow, wherever you're listening from, whatever you're listening on. Check us out later, because we'll be covering Purple Hyacinth in the future. We have new episodes every Tuesday, so we'll look forward to seeing you guys next week. Thanks, guys, for listening. Bye.